Thank you everyone for coming today. We're going to uh, start with a blessing by Chief Littlechild. I ask you to join me. I've been blessed with an honor of tobacco to say a short prayer on our collective behalf. And I ask you to join me in your own way, your own thoughts, in terms of seeking guidance on this work. Thank you, uh, thank you, Chief Littlechild, sir. Uh, Grand Chief Thomas, thank you, sir, for being here today. Chief McPhee, uh, Minister Nixon, Minister Amory, thank you all for being here today. First of all, I'd like to, of course, mention and acknowledge that we are gathered today on the Treaty Six lands and we respect the histories, the language, and the culture of our First Nations, our Métis, Inuit, and the First Peoples of Canada, whose presence continues to enrich our vibrant communities. We're here today because fellow Albertans urgently need our help. Edmonton is facing a cruel cycle of addiction, exploitation, and crime that is preying on our most vulnerable. The visible hardship that we have seen, especially last week with the onset of the season's first serious cold snap, is both heartbreaking and daunting. I would like to be clear. These encampments have turned into gang-run drug camps that enable drug dealing, human trafficking, rape, crime, violence. They are not safe places to sleep, nor are they safe places to live. And you can see this if you look at the pictures on display here. We know that organized crime and gang members such as Red Alert are infiltrating encampments. They are violently enforcing tent taxes, forcing vulnerable people to pay for access to water, the ability to even pitch a tent, or to access bridges and walkways. But we must confront these challenges and do what we can to bring vulnerable Albertans to safety. Albertans are suffering in the violent, predatory conditions of these encampments. Albertans won't tolerate violence and disorder on city streets. I will not tolerate violence and disorder on these streets. Nor will they tolerate the cruel victimization of Edmonton's homeless by the criminal gangs who have gained a foothold on these encampments. And as I've said before, Alberta's government will do whatever it takes to eliminate the violent gang and criminal activity that targets our most vulnerable. And we will fight to keep Edmontonians and quite frankly, all Albertans safe. And to ensure the lasting stability of our city streets in our communities. And with that, we'll now hand it over to Chief Dale McPhee. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Minister Ellis, Minister Nixon, Minister Amory, Grand Chief Thomas, elder and good friend, Chief Little Child. First of all, thank you for your prayer and thank you for being here today to give us some guidance. 
I'm happy that we're here to share real, tangible solutions for community safety and well-being. In all honesty, we've all talked enough, and now it's time for action. <clears throat> Let me be clear. Encampments are not safe. End stop. In no way is it compassionate or responsible to allow people, vulnerable community members who are already in the throes of mental health and addictions issues, to continue to live in these circumstances. To claim otherwise is denying the violence, crime, and inherently dangerous conditions camp residents in the larger community are exposed to. Let me be clear. Those are actual pictures. Contrary to some, we don't make those up. We produce evidence. Tent fire shop, bicycle chop shops, sudden deaths, weapon caches, open-air drugs, gang activity, people burning to death alive, people freezing to death. In our front lines, not only police, but emergency services respond to these every day. And quite frankly, enough is enough. There are zero, and I mean zero, circumstances in which allowing these things to continue is okay. Not when there are available shelter spaces, and not when there are services that can help. Even just a few days ago, the coldest night of the year, shelter occupancy was only at 74%. Fighting for people's right to live in encampments in such dangerous conditions is perhaps the biggest disservice to their humanity that I can imagine. As a collective, we can't continue to wait for perfection or spend more time analyzing and debating or blaming others. Not when people's lives and the safety of our community is at stake, it does no one any service to deflect or avoid taking action because we lack a perfect response. I've been clear that EPS knows its role, knows the duty it holds to the community, and will continue to act in the best interests of safety for all Edmontonians. This will never change. Calling encampments unsafe is not criminalizing homelessness. And to be very, very clear, homelessness and housing is not a root cause of crime, period. Encampments are unsafe because they allow the conditions where criminals prey on, victimize, and inflict violence on our most vulnerable citizens to proliferate. I'm often asked if police can simply leave the encampments and target the criminal and gang members with them. The answer is no. Encampments are the perfect environment gangs and criminals thrive in. There are no rules. There's endless opportunities to victimize. The fact that we've went from 4,500 complaints to oh, just about 18,000 complaints in the last two years with hundreds of camps dispersed across the city, criminals can easily disappear into the fray, blend in with the vulnerable and prey repeatedly on the suffering. The resources required citywide, not just from EPS, would be astronomical when we focus on a symptom that will keep the resurfacing so long as there's encampment for gangsters to hide in. Why should our focus be so narrow when we can remove the conditions that attract crime and improve quality of life for the vulnerable at the same time? There is more accountability and empathy in moving folks from encampments to shelters where they can get the care and service, the connection to services, and then we can focus on our efforts on making those spaces safe. 
that's a lot easier than running around to 1,200 tents or 1,500 or whatever the number is today and tomorrow. We've lost the plot entirely if we continue to fixate on maintaining the status quo, letting encampments become the norm rather than improving the system as a whole. It hurts the people living in encampments, the businesses surrounding them, and the communities they are located in. When a encampment becomes so unsafe it must be closed, it isn't a decision or action we take lightly. When we move to shut down an encampment, the public needs to understand the extensive work, careful consideration of professional officers that work behind it, not just from police, but fire, from the city, and others from our services and the not-for-profits. There is no evidence, and I want to be very clear on this, that EPS officers have been acting anything but responsive, kind, and proactive in the tragic circumstances they see every day. They spend a significant amount of time with partners identifying the most dangerous encampments, those ripe with gang activity, fire hazards, structural concerns. They spend a significant amount of time coordinating resources to ensure the residents have options to support the need for a life away from the encampments. And then I want to say thank you on behalf of today's announcement. These abilities will be enhanced. And then they spend even more time checking in on residents, educating them on the hazards like open flame, facilitating connections to shelters, addictions, treatment, and other resources. Through it all, officers remain professional, prioritizing the safety of camp, surrounding, and the residents inside. We all know encampments aren't the answer. Our approach is with empathy and accountability. Empathy and accountability. Empathy for the vulnerable, but relentless accountability for those choosing crime and violence against those that are vulnerable. Today's announcement gives us integration we need across all government and community partners to make real progress, to coordinate services, get people connected with the care and the attention they need so the cycle does not continue. So they do not move on to the next encampment just to be exploited and victimized all over again. Consistence and persistence is how we will proceed. We must be better than this. In the coming days, we will work closely with the Alberta's government, partners like Grand Chief Thomas, our regional chiefs, Edmonton Fire Services, the City of Edmonton, Alberta Health Services, some of our not-for-profit organizations. To be clear, this means no more excusing, enabling, or tolerating encampments, period. We will be moving with our partners to closing encampments on an accelerated pace. This is the first of many steps to rerouting the vulnerable toward long-term care and wraparound solutions. But it is an important first step. Community safety and well-being will always remain a priority with EPS. As I said, we'll lead with empathy and accountability, staying tough on violent crime while working with community and service providers to address the root causes of mental health addictions and trauma. <clears throat> Alone we go fast, together we go far. Having our chiefs at the table, the leadership, the true leadership of First Nations, being the voice of First Nations, who I've worked with for many, many years. Having the government and every ministry that needs to be here to create solutions as part of this. Having the city workers, the fire department, this is a solvable problem, folks. But it isn't if we continue to let no-ruled encamp 
camping take place in our city where our vulnerable are violated and exposed every day. I want to thank you for being here. It's muchly appreciated and hi hi. Thank you, Chief, for those remarks uh, and for being here. Thank you, Chief Littlechild and Chief Thomas, uh, for taking the time to be here for what I think uh, is a very important announcement and a timely announcement for the tough circumstances that we see taking place that I think uh, Chief McPhee just did an excellent job uh, of articulating. Uh, those challenges are uh, troubling to see. Take a moment and look at those pictures. Uh, these are real people uh, that are being affected in sometimes very violent ways and also in sometimes very final ways up to and including losing their lives, which I think all Albertans think is wrong. When the Edmonton Police Service came and uh, informed Cabinet about some of the things that they were seeing internally within uh, encampments, uh, the Premier uh, took action immediately. Uh, she put together a committee chaired by herself and brought together the relevant ministries uh, to begin to work on a plan to be able to support the Edmonton Police Service and ultimately to be able to support people that were being victimized within these drug encampments. As such, during that process, my department, the department responsible for social services in Alberta, was challenged to work together with the Department of Health, Alberta Health Services, the Department of Mental Health and Addictions, the Department of Children's Services, and of course the Department of Public Safety, alongside our incredible nonprofit social service sector right here uh, in Edmonton that works each day to help vulnerable Edmontonians and their partners with the government. And, of course, Indigenous leadership, as you see here today, uh, with Treaty 6, particularly Enoch Cree Nation, and ultimately also representatives of the Edmonton Police Service, including uh, the Chief, uh, Chief McPhee himself, uh, to come up with a solution. The challenge that we had was to bring together the considerable support of the social services sector in this province, bring it all together as a team, unite to come together to support uh, the dangerous encampment teardowns that the Edmonton Police Service will need to do for the reasons that were just uh, articulated. We worked very closely as we came up with the plan that I'm about to outline uh, with our nonprofit organizations here in the city of Edmonton. Uh, they supported uh, my department to develop this process. And I want to take a moment and just thank them, Their, that sector, uh, that is funded by the provincial government, also funded by donations and other aspects of uh, the city of Edmonton, works closely each and every day with the government to be able to keep thousands of Albertans safe all across the province. And last night inside Alberta, all across our major cities, housed thousands of people on an emergency basis to make sure that they were warm and safe. Um, having done that work before I was in government, I can tell you it's not easy work, and I want them to know that we appreciate all of their efforts. As a result of that, my department today, with the support of the organizations mentioned uh, and with all of the government departments mentioned, will be opening up a new support and navigation center located at the CARES Center here in Edmonton immediately. I want to be very clear that this support and navigation center is not designed to replace the considerable support and emergency shelter system that is already in place in Edmonton, but to bring all that support system uh, together to provide wraparound services to individuals coming out of encampments. Actually, one of my staff would make Kleenex, I would appreciate it. So what does this mean? When law enforcement makes the decision to dismantle an encampment, the process from a social services perspective will be as follows. The Alberta government has contracted Edmonton Transit Service to provide transportation to be on site at the encampment location that will provide an immediate warm location for individuals coming out of encampments to be, 
in, and it will also form the transportation mechanism to get those individuals to our navigation support center. There will be storage bins for individuals to secure their property and transport them with them on that bus to that navigation center. Pets will be able to travel with the individuals to that support navigation center. We will be working very closely with the same agencies that support us, supported us during the recent fire evacuations last year to help with on-site animal care and support. Anyone, of course, with an acute uh, medical need will go to the hospital as per normal procedure with, uh, with emergency medical services. Anyone else who wants to, and I want to be clear this is voluntary, uh, will be transported to that navigation centre by bus. Upon arrival, at least it's not uh, the height of COVID no more. When that would happen to you in the height of COVID, it was always uh, awkward. You felt like you were being judged for sure. So, uh, Upon arrival at the navigation centre, individuals will immediately be in a warm, safe area, including with security, uh, which will come from our existing shelter security forces that we already use within our shelter system, supported by the Alberta sheriffs to make sure that everyone is safe. They will have access immediately to washrooms, showers, coffee, and again, a warm space. Their property will be immediately stored in a secure location to make sure that nothing happens to their personal belongings. There will also be representatives from Enoch Cree Nation and others from Treaty 6 Confederacy to provide cultural supports and help of connections to Indigenous-run shelters and to other Indigenous communities and support services that we work with. Across this navigation centre will be support service stations uh, with a variety of services from nonprofit sectors and from uh, my department and other departments of government that will be staffed with appropriate personnel to connect individuals to the considerable supports that we have across the system. These staff will be, of course, from social services partners and from the government and my department. For, so, for example, my department will be on hand to help with emergency shelter, other housing supports, representatives from Alberta Works, which is part of my department, will also be on hand to help with things like income supports and even simple things like making sure we can get individuals ID. The health station, for example, will include AHS community paramedics and outreach teams for the mental health and addictions sector. The vir or department, I should say. The virtual, virtual opioid dependency program will be available and Radius Health will be on site to immediately provide primary health care. We also have transportation on site to provide transportation to and from the centre as needed, as well as transportation to the next location or a referral location depending on the needs of the individual. To be clear, moving, anybody moving on from that navigation centre to another location will not do so on their own. They will be provided transportation and we will ensure that there is a warm handoff between that navigation centre and the next support sector that that individual will go to. I will also note, in the same location, we will immediately be opening up 30 more emergency shelter beds to be used on site. Uh, the purpose of those emergency shelter beds will be to help make sure uh, that we can help keep people safe as they're coming in the navigation centre and when there are circumstances where it's not appropriate to move uh, to the next shelter quickly, it could be an individual detoxing or we could be waiting for space to open up in a detox program, for example, they will be able to stay on site it will be kept care of with the same quality of service that we see across our entire emergency shelter system. I also, though, at the same time, want to be clear, the navigation centre is not intended to replace our emergency shelter system in this province, but rather help connect individuals coming out of encampments to appropriate shelter and appropriate services. It's important to note this navigation centre uh, is, uh, at its core, designed to work with that considerable shelter system. 
Our province continues to be committed to working to provide safe, secure emergency housing for all those who need it who are homeless, including those who are not in encampments. As such, we remain committed to investing in emergency housing. We also know that emergency housing is not the only solution, and we remain committed to investing in long-term affordable housing solutions that this government has been doing in big ways over the last several years. But what we do know at our core is what has been presented to us by the Edmonton Police Service is that encampments are inappropriate emergency shelters. Our emergency shelter system is appropriate, uh, and we, that is where our focus will be to get vulnerable Albertans the help that they need to find themselves in circumstances where they're homeless and that they need emergency help. We remain committed to doing that shelter different. Uh, it's something that we have worked very hard on over the last year with our providers. It's why we've done th things like opened up all of our shelter system to be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's why we made sure that there are locations within our rules of all our shelter locations to make sure individuals' belongings can be secured. It's why we've invested millions in security at our shelter system to make sure individuals within our shelters are safe. It's why we've built wraparound services uh, and invested considerable amounts in our what is called our hub program, which ensures that anybody in our emergency shelters receives the same level of wraparound support that I'm describing here at the Navigation Centre. It's also why we've worked very hard to do shelter with different partners. We heard loud and clear the need to bring in different shelter providers, not in any way to say that the current shelter providers are not doing their job, we very much appreciate it, but we recognize the need to work with Indigenous communities and to work on things like women-only shelter spaces to make sure that there's pr culturally appropriate and safe spaces for everybody who finds themselves homeless so that they don't choose an encampment and instead can choose our safety of our shelter. Uh, and that's why we continue to work with significant partners. And one of the partners I want to talk about today and invite the chief of up here is Enoch Cree First Nation. Chief Thomas is with us today. He has worked with us as well as other Treaty 6 Confederacy uh, representatives from their nations. I should also mention Chief Thomas is the Grand Chief of, Treaty 6, of the Treaty 6 Confederacy currently. He has been at the table to help us come together to address this encampment problem. But he is also a significant partner with my department and with the province when it comes to our work with Indigenous shelters. Uh, just a few weeks ago, we worked with Enoch to open up their very first emergency shelter here in the city of Edmonton. That is a shelter that is being run and funded in partnership with the province. It is a shelter that will continue beyond uh, just this winter and a partnership that we are very much looking forward to continuing because we think it will have tremendous success when it comes to working on this issue. So I want to congratulate Enoch on that. Uh, and thank the Chief for the hard work of his people and ask him to come up and provide uh, some few remarks about today's announcement. Willie Wilton Littlechild for the opening prayer. Today is a very historical day for us as Indigenous peoples when we come to having the conversation of dealing with the root cause dealing with the traumas that we faced for generations um, when it comes to the residential school, the intergenerational traumas, to actually find solutions to, as a collaboration. At the end of the day, we as the Confederacy and our Indigenous uh, nations, we actually are getting the supports that we need to heal our people, to reignite that spirit. We're at the table to assist in, in finding those resolutions and not standing outside protesting. It's a very historical day when we can actually meet the needs of our people that are struggling and when we talk about housing, that's a, hum a human right for everyone. Our nations are all struggling with housing crises throughout 
the Turtle Island. We get $186,860 from the federal government for housing. That, that's a drop in a bucket that's not going to solve anything. But we're here to find solutions and, and we got to continue to be a part of these conversations, making sure that our, our, our members are, are being adhered to. There's, there's safe places for them as well and, and safety first and foremost with a lot of the things that are going on down there. Having some of the conversations with uh, the individuals that are struggling with the addiction. Nobody grows up wanting to be homeless. Nobody grows up wanting to be addicted to drugs. We need to get to the root cause and I appreciate the, the province uh, supporting us and coming to the table and, and finding those tangible solutions together. Because historically I, I, I haven't been at that conversation or I haven't been at that table as, as the Grand Chief and, and of, as of Enoch. But there are other chiefs and we had a meeting yesterday and at the Confederacy we, we want to support the initiatives that are going forward and we want to find solutions and, and have our Indigenous members from all nations partaking, coming to the table. Um, Enoch Shelter is indigenously run by our, our member, Glory Sharphead, uh, very knowledgeable. And they're not being kicked out in the streets when it's cold, during the day. It's not just a housing program. We're, we're reigniting that spirit. We're having ceremony with them. There's a lot that goes into it, and, and, it, and it, it is from residential schools. I'm an intergenerational trauma survivor myself from the residential schools. And it's a tough conversation to have, but it, it, we got to educate each other and we all got to come together because it's all of our responsibility. Everybody's human down there and seeing our members in psychosis from meth isn't an easy conversation to have. Our members are, are dying. Individuals downtown are dying like, what are, we, what are we doing as humanity to allow them to kill themselves in front of us? And we have an opportunity to stop turning the blind cheek and finding solutions to the problem. Reigniting that spirit is the goal and the intent from, from us as Indigenous people. We need that support from everybody to come to the table to assist. And I, I want to thank uh, our, our former chief here, uh, Wilton Littlechild. He, he's been a trailblazer for a lot of us in First Nations territory. And we got to act now because people are dying. The encampments aren't a safe spot for anybody to live. I, I see the addiction as, as the root cause. And if we're going to start housing people, you're setting them up for failure. You need to heal them first before you get them into housing. So we're at the table and, and we really want to push the narrative to where we can support one another and come up with real solutions from an Indigenous lens, an Indigenous perspective, we want to heal our people. We have strength in numbers. We don't want to see our people die. Seeing individuals, and I can share a story with you, where one of our members is in psychosis from meth. I don't know how to deal with that. They're very violent in those situations. What do you do? So there's a lot of training that needs to come into this, this frame of framework or initiative that we're we're going, going forward with, and we want to be the trailblazers. We want to be at the table. We want to contribute as Indigenous. So I really thank the province for supporting us and bringing us to the table to actually hear from our perspective. So uh, I want to say thank you for everyone. I want to thank the Edmonton City Police as well for the initiatives. Um, we're working on some cultural sensitivity. I believe everybody needs that, just some education-wise. Um, but we had a lot of work to do, and I, I think planting that seed today is, is going to be an act of 
real reconciliation because that's a phrase word that's thrown out there way too much. Calls to action in 94, who enforces that? Is it just a, a word we're going to continuously use? We need action now. So that's why we're here. That's why we're engaged. And we're going to definitely support the initiatives going forward. So thank you very much, Xay. Hi, hi. Good morning to each one of you and those that are watching and listening. I want to ask one question to everyone. Who can be against safety at a time like this? Who can be against safety at a time like this? That's why I'm here to support my fellow chief and also a friend and fellow chief for years. We've been on this trail together. It's not a new initiative for Chief McPhee and I. Let me tell you a quick story. I've been to Boyle Street. I worked there. I've been to the camps. I visited the homeless and talked to them, trying to find a solution. I've talked to the nonprofit organizations, the faith groups who are assisting the homeless. I've talked to fellow chiefs and fellow leaders. And we're all together here trying to find a common solution. So let's go arm in arm and take the challenge on as true leaders. Hi, hi. Thank you. We'll now move on to questions from the media. We'll start with reporters here in the room and then move to the phone lines. Please state your name and your outlet, and we'll do one question and one follow-up. First question, please. Hi, uh, Lauren Boothby, Edmonton Journal. Um, so is the reception center being set up because you're anticipating mass um, and swift removals of the camps? And can you elaborate on the speed scale and if these are high risk, uh, Chief McVie? You know, the encampments are made in a decision of a committee of what comes down and what speed they come down and with the risk. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things that we evaluate every day. Um, and we've got members of the encampment team, both from fire, EMS, EPS, the city, and others. And we will do so at the speed needed to get the job done. And the reception center, obviously, is built to ensure that we have a place to go. Uh, and as I said, uh, no tent is safe. So our goal is to try to get all of these tents down and get people the services they need as soon as we can, because it's going to get cold again. It's cold right now, and these are not a safe environment. Okay, um, and so I understand um, from a slide deck I've seen um, at the city that there's four streams for when people are being removed. So either they can go to the reception center, they can go to the integrated care uh, center with police, um, they might be arrested for warrants, um, or they can leave on their own. In order to go to the reception center, are they processed through the police? Do you check their ID? Do you check if they have warrants before they can go to the reception center as well? Or that's separate? Uh We've got some of the technical you can deal with after if you want to ask further questions, but any situation is based on the merit, depending on what you're faced there. If obviously it's a dangerous situation, there's weapons, everything involved, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of authorities given by every jurisdiction there. Fire has the obviously the safety measures in relation to fires. We have it from a safety perspective in relation to safety. EMS has it from a public health perspective. Use the right authority at the right time to get the people what they need to survive and thrive. In other words, if it's accountability in the justice system, we can easily do that. 
what a lot of the folks in relation to this center is to actually get that vulnerable population the services they need and to have this discussion and you know what you'll see a lot of these people that, that want to help will go and some won't and we just are going to remain persistent and consistent to ensuring that we educate people that this isn't safe down there and uh, the other side of this is just leave them there and watch more deaths, watch more fires and everything else, and that's not acceptable. Sir, just to clarify, can people go to the reception centre without going through the police, or do they have to potentially be arrested for a warrant before they could go to the reception centre? That, uh, most definitely you do not have to be arrested. The police, will, as the chief and his department, will handle law enforcement. Uh, but my department, uh, with this process, will be on site. So anybody who is not going through a law enforcement process to make sure that we can provide safe, warm access to our social services system. And definitely, you do not need to go through the police to access that system. Next question. Uh, Brianna Carson-Smith with Global News. Uh, you guys talked a lot about doing whatever it takes, no more talk. I wonder at what point that includes working with City Council and repairing that relationship. They're noticeably absent from this announcement today. Well, I don't think that uh, there's any relationship that needs to repair. We, we worked very hard with the City of Edmonton. You're looking at uh, City of Edmonton resources that are here part of the announcement. The entire City Council, including the Mayor, were in this building uh, yesterday for a very lengthy meeting uh, with multiple ministries, including the ministers that you see here today, as well as uh, the senior leadership of all of our departments. Uh, every one of those councillors said that it was one of the most effective and efficient meetings that they've ever had with the government of, uh, of uh, Alberta, with the City of Edmonton. So we will continue to work with the City of Edmonton. The, the difference is that Edmonton Council, for their own political reasons, and you could you ask them why, seem to be very, very focused after that on having talks about more motions and these type of things, and that's fine. But our role as government is to take immediate action. The Premier's asked us to take action. Uh, and that's exactly what you see the government of Alberta, do, Alberta doing today. And we'll continue to call on Edmonton to support that ambition. From our perspective, the time for talk and political motions is over. And the time for action is here. Uh, one of the things is that the centre's only open for intake from 8 till 4.30. That's been one of the challenges that people have expressed to us on the streets is that some of this, these programs aren't open 24-7. So I wonder... Why do you expect people to take you up on this opportunity if they're not even willing to go to shelters in the first place? Well, the, the centre is not open just only for 48.30. The centre will be open 24 hours a day. But as for I intake, it is only open 18. Uh, not accurate. Uh, That's what it says in your news release. Uh, they, it, access to certain amount of services uh, will not be available in the middle of the night as far as connecting individuals to other things like uh, uh, detox centres, or to other shelters or other housing type providers. Uh, what will happen is individuals will be brought into that safe location. That's why we have beds there uh, that will help make sure that everybody is safe and able to access any of those other services in the morning. Uh, things like health services, access to showers, access to food, secure locations, securing pets, making sure that those individuals are in a safe place will be taking place 24 hours a day just like any other shelter. Why do you expect them to go there if they're not even willing to go and don't feel comfortable going to shelters? Well, we, we actually are not. Uh, I, I'm, uh, I want to be very, a couple things. First is thousands, thousands of homeless Albertans slept inside our emergency shelters in this province last night. The vast majority of people, uh, unfortunately, facing uh, homelessness inside our province are utilizing the shelter system. Um, this provides an access to certain individuals who may not be aware 
of what services that are available uh, and be able to give them access uh, to those services. Uh, that said, we do not believe uh, that the vast majority of people that are homeless are not already utilizing our shelter. In fact, what we are seeing for some of the people coming out of encampments already is that they're using the encampments at certain times of the day, but they are actually also utilizing our shelter services to do things like sleep in the middle of the evening or access food and other resources. Next question. Hi, it's Lisa Johnson from the Edmonton Journal. Um, Chief McPhee, I believe earlier on you mentioned that there are hundreds of encampments. We know that there are four or eight major encampments that have been cleared already and at least 100 people were cleared from those camps. So I'm hoping to get a, uh, an estimate from you of how many people are going to be uh, cleared from encampments going forward. And I'm also hoping, sorry, this is double barrel, but given that information and given your estimate, when are we going to see from the province the promised numbers on shelter capacity? I know you mentioned 74%, but um, when are we going, when are Edmontonians going to see that regular public reporting of what shelter capacity is? Yeah, I'll, I'll let uh, the minister answer the second part of that, Lisa, but, uh, and I, I do know that they've increased quite a few uh, shelter beds here recently as well, but in relation to this, nobody actually knows how many tents there are in the city. They're everywhere. And the reality is because they've been let to be everywhere. And to your point earlier is, you know, some are moving from spot to spot. We are going to use all the resources available with this team's approach, the four-pillar approach, to try to get everybody out of every tent into some type of service because it's cold out and people are going to die. We're also going to limit the opportunity for gang members to infiltrate tents spread out all over a city, as you can see, who has control of these things. And you've heard it multiple times, not just from us, but others. Uh, we need to get them in a controlled environment where they're warm, where they're safe. Let those services that specialize in that keep them safe. Uh, and we'll deal with the criminal element, leaving them exposed to the type of criminal activity that we're seeing, the serious violent sexual assaults, the people burning to death, you know, the violent assaults period is not acceptable anymore. So as many tents as we need to, that's what we need to find. But I don't think anybody in this city knows exactly how many tents are here. And I'll turn it over to you, Minister. Um, that uh, website went live today. Lisa, I'll make sure that some, uh, it went live on the website today, I should say. I'll make sure some of our staff give you that website address. I don't have it here. Uh, we, we have been reporting through my social media uh, the capacity and the capacity utilization rates uh, to try to keep media up to date, updated. We won't have to do that no more because you'll have a place to go. Uh, uh, last night, uh, the shelter utilization rate in the city of Edmonton was around 79%. It was 92% in the city of Calgary. Great, thanks. And follow-up question. I'm wondering if you can just give me a better understanding of the timeline here. I know that this cabinet committee started meeting in late November uh, to look at public safety in Edmonton, if I'm correct. Um, we saw, we learned of the eight high-risk encampment clearings in uh, December, just before Christmas, and then we saw the lawsuit uh, bring, being brought to the Court of King's Bench. I know you've said recently you were waiting to make this announcement until after that decision was made by the court. But can you walk me through the timeline of why this announcement wasn't made? Since you've been coordinating with the police, you've all been coordinating together, why wasn't this uh, triage center announcement made? Why wasn't this in place before these high-risk encampment clearings started in December? Can you walk me through that decision-making, please? Go, go, go. Well, look, the, look we, we had the... You can, you can supplement what I'm saying. So we had the... 
the Edmonton Public Safety Task Force. We had a Calgary Public Safety uh, Task Force, which is being chaired currently uh, by Minister uh, Williams. Um, as uh, Minister Nixon indicated, the Edmonton Police uh, Service uh, had come to us as a government uh, to really um, explain and highlight to us, as you can see by these pictures, what is actually going on here. And as I indicated in my remarks, um, you know, I think, I think that a lot of the public, quite frankly, is being uh, misled uh, in regards uh, to uh, what is going on in these encampments. And as I highlighted, we have vulnerable people which are being preyed upon by organized crime. We have, uh, every one of us, quite frankly, have been downtown. I was with Grand Chief Thomas as we walked and we talked to individuals. It's scary out there. You, you wouldn't wish this upon anyone. And disproportionately, our Indigenous friends have been affected by this. This is why, from day one, Grand Chief Thomas, the Confederation of Treaty 6, has been involved. These are the traditional lands of Treaty 6 and Enoch. And as Grand Chief Thomas has told me, and I'm happy to let him tell you, he and the Confederacy represent the Indigenous people here. And he, along with the, the Edmonton Police Service, have asked us for help. And that, as Grand Chief Thomas said, I'll maybe reflect everybody on his remarks, this is action. This is not words. Reconciliation is not just words, it is actions. And that's what this is. We are trying to provide safe places for our vulnerable population. We are trying to protect them from being preyed upon by organized crime, by red alert, by other gangs. Does anybody out here think that it is right to be, be charged a fee to use a water fountain? To, to uh, be charged to, to even walk down the street or, use, uh, or go under an underpass? Because that's what's happening. And so when you have questions regarding Indigenous people, it's not to go to the activists. I ask you, I implore you. We have Grand Chief Thomas here, and I'm going to ask him to supplement what I have to say. I'm going to answer that in a, <clears throat> just a bit of a different way. And um, in, a, in his opening, uh, Chief Littlechild said that him and I have worked on this particular file before. I've worked on this file lots. I've worked on this with multiple different political parties. I've worked on this uh, in various different roles, including the deputy minister uh, in charge of FPT at the justice level. I think you know the answer in relation to that. You've got one group that wants to go one way, and you've got another group that wants to go another way. We've seen all kinds of inaccurate media reports, social media reports in particular, and the reality is this has been worked on for some time, and then you have a court case and a court injunction that always slows things down. The reality is I've never seen in the time that I've been in one of these roles where yesterday, as Minister Nixon said, we had 
every ministry involved and their minister, their deputy minister, their chiefs of staff, meeting with an entire city council to talk about safety and talk about how we make these things safe. So all of these things and sidebars that are going on because people have different belief systems doesn't change the fact of what you believe. These things aren't safe. And actually building the capacity of getting this thing in place that's been done now in the reception center slash navigational center to complement the justice impact made it possible. And keep in mind the court case ended yesterday and we're announcing it today. So the reality is it's went a lot quicker than I've ever seen it over the course of my history working with multiple political parties that I've ever seen it. And I think we need to start changing that conversation from a blame conversation to say, let's solve this. And the media plays a significant role in solving this because I know that I'll leave this room and my name by certain individuals will be all over this and it's not going to be accurate. So we all have a role in this. And it's happening the day after the court case is done, period. That's not a lot of time. And uh, I'll, I'll just quickly supplement that to your specific question on the timeline, uh, Lisa. Uh, to, to be clear, the eight encampments that went down, uh, my uh, department already provides support, has, any time that encampments have been dismantled. Uh, we're on site and in connection with the Empty Police Service to give access to services. The services that are being announced today are not new. They already exist uh, in, inside the city. What's happening today is to create a navigation center in anticipation that there will now be a higher volume based on what the court decision was yesterday. Um, depending on what happened with the court decision yesterday, may have required a different type of setup and different type of circumstances. But I want to be clear, the services and the support for individuals coming out of encampments have and were always provided uh, during the time that those eight encampments came down. Next question. Yeah. Catherine Krakowski, Alberta Today. So I'm hearing you say that shelters are um, an emergency um, measure. It's a, it's a Band-Aid. I'm wondering if people want to move into permanent supportive housing, they're ready, they, for whatever reason, they have chosen not to go to shelters and they're in these encampments. Is there a spot for them today to move into? Our government has, has and continues to invest billions of dollars uh, in affordable housing. Uh, we are almost weekly announcing multiple new affordable housing projects. Uh, that's not new. That has been taking place in this province connected to our, my department, to the social services sector. Many of the shelters that we have also create long-term transitional housing and long-term housing are also providers of that. The access to that is through the emergency shelter system, not in tents that are on fire. And so what this does is gets us to that system to be able to uh, make sure that we can access long-term housing. Uh, the reality is that there are other circumstances besides housing which are causing homelessness, which is why we also have to make sure that the resources <coughs> around that, uh, things like what we've done with addictions. And Minister Williams' department uh, has uh, done a tremendous amount of work to be able to make sure we're bringing addiction supports around our social services sector. Uh, and I think the right person to supplement this also is Chief Thomas, because he can really uh, give you the layout of the investments that we're taking with his nation, but also what he's seeing uh, with other governments. Yeah, so ideally with, um, when it comes to the housing, we, we want to hit the root cause of, of what's transpiring with uh, the individual, because we're not going to set them up for failure. If they are struggling with addictions, let's get to that root cause. If there are individuals, I believe, that 
are facing homelessness. There are um, low subsidized um, buildings that you guys have provided through the province, that there is collaboration. But I think critiquing what actually what's going on, yes, there's services that this has been going on for quite some time. The world's evolving. The drugs have changed dramatically. And that's something that we got to move together on. And, and even the supports that are out there currently, we all collectively need to come to the table and, and come up with real solutions, not just talking. What is the takeaway from today's conversation? Getting to the root cause, providing safety first and foremost. Encampments aren't safe places. We need to house our members eventually, but there's connectors put in place for them to be successful. If there's detox, if there's recovery, those are some of the key issues. We even need some trauma-based um, help, help as well. Um, individuals that are going through psychosis that maybe get form 10, they're out in 24 hours. Seeing an, um, I'll just use an example, um, my own um, relation going through psychosis and watching his mother cry up in arms like she can't, there's nothing she can do. And that has to be addressed and, and having this blind cheek approach to where the system needs to evolve. There's individuals, yes, they may have their hearts in the right place, but at the end of the day, they, everyone's got to communicate because communication is key and we got to get right to the root cause. Um, for the affordable housing, they do have some initiatives and some collaborations we're working on um, at the Confederacy along with Enoch Green Nation. So there, there's a lot of work to be done, but it has to take place now. I'm not here to spin tires with anybody. So. Follow up? Uh, yeah, and um, so, oh, sorry, yes, go ahead. On a timeline issue, I just wanted to make a comment. As a former residential school student for 14 years, as a former Truth and Reconciliation Commission, we've looked at this situation. And you need to make a link from today back to where it started. The residential school history, the legacy, of this possession is ongoing today. So when you talk about links and the history, we need to reflect on that historical situation to today, where we are today, if we're gonna know what we're, where we're gonna go tomorrow. So it's a long, it's not a overnight answer. Six and a half years, I've listened to over 7,000 former students cry in anger in front of me to talk about this situation. So I just wanted to add that into the conversation. In my own community, before Christmas, we declared a state of emergency on a very high, high rate of drug um, and opioid deaths in my community. So we're currently in a state of emergency. That's how serious this is. What you see in front of you actually it's a picture of what I like to say, true reconciliation. Thank you. Thank you sir. And I, uh, I had a question on um, the task force and then the cabinet committee, because once upon a time there was a, a cabinet task force that involved members of city administration and involved um, city councillors and members of cabinet, and you've sort of moved towards this cabinet committee, and of course cabinet deliberations are confidential. So why, what happened to the task force? So the uh, Edmonton and Calgary Public Safety Task Forces are still ongoing, as I indicated before. They're being chaired by uh, Minister uh, Williams. 
Um, this uh, was one of those things I would say is, I would say, a bit of exigent circumstances. I indicated before, Chief uh, McPhee um, uh, came to us with, uh, we'll say, an acute uh, issue that is going on in the city of, uh, of Edmonton. Um, the, as uh, Minister Nixon indicated, um, uh, uh, Premier Smith uh, struck up this uh, cabinet committee, uh, which includes uh, Grand Chief uh, Thomas, which includes uh, Chief McPhee, to uh, take immediate uh, action. Uh, and I think it's important, again, this maybe goes back to my, my, my training in, in, in emergency management, you know, uh, there are long-term solutions to problems, which we know uh, the internationally recognized recovery-oriented system of care is trying to deal with, along with what Minister uh, Nixon is trying to deal with in, in his department as well. But then there is what is known as an immediate action plan, right? The immediate action plan is to deal with the crisis that you're seeing right now on the streets. And that's what uh, we are doing with this uh, particular uh, cabinet committee, which is why we, of course, have uh, Grand Chief Thomas, uh, is why we have, uh, of course, Chief McPhee, and we have all the relevant ministries in order to address a very, very complex problem. I know a lot of folks like to think that there are very simple solutions and say, if only you did this, or if only you did that. But the reality is, reality is these are extremely complex problems, and as the Chief indicated, historical trauma of grant that, that, that are problems that have been going on for generations. So this is no simple solution to a very complex problem, which is why we are collaboratively working together <coughs> on a very complex problem. Thank you, sir. We will take one more question in person, and then we will move to the phones for our final question. Uh, Duncan Kinney, Progress Report. So you've closed down an encampment, and can you walk me through what happens when someone refuses to get on the bus, refuses to go to your center? Like, what happens if they refuse and they just go camp somewhere else? I think you know the answer to the question. I mean, we, the, we live in a society where... Uh, we can make choices, and we're not going to force anybody to come into shelter or to receive uh, life-saving services. Um, we obviously will deal with any medical emergencies that are taking place in that location, um, and you know you'll have to ask each of those individuals where they will go. Many of them will actually stay in our shelter system uh, that evening. We do see that with lots of uh, individuals that are utilizing encampments at certain times of the day, but uh, I think that's a pretty. It would depend on the circumstance of each individual. Well, you can follow that up. Yeah. So uh, again, part of the um, great conversations that we have, of course, with the Grand Chief is the creation, uh, and uh, I think we're in the process of creating it, which are these uh, outreach teams that are going to be funded uh, by the province. So what, what, is, what, what is an outreach team? Well, it's actually members uh, from Treaty 6, and specifically you know, Enoch Cree Nation, and, and of course other that, that have that lived experience that are going to go into these, uh, the, these, these communities and sit there and say, I have been where you've been. I have walked where you walked. Come with me, and I will help you to 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 move on to a, a state of wellness. And um, you know, I, I this is part of the collaboration that we're talking about, and we're proud to collaborate with Treaty Six, the Confederacy of Treaty Six, and Grand Chief Thomas and Chief Littlechild, because we know the path to actually true reconciliation is to listen to what um, what has happened historically in the past in order to help heal people. I think everybody here would agree. We want people to have a better life. It's not a, it's not a life to live on the streets, to, to, to suffer, to, to see what is going on here. It's about, about to sit there and say, you know what? It's not, it's not right that you are on the streets and we are going to help fix that. And, and this is what true collaboration, I would say reconciliation is. Follow up. 
So my follow-up is about um, past instances of government doing similar things, starting task forces. There was a, a provincial task force in 1990. There was a, a secretariat, or I think a joint task force between the city of Edmonton and the provincial government in 1999. There was Ed Stelmack's, I think, 10-year plan to end homelessness. What is this committee doing? Uh, what is this committee learning? How is this committee learning from those past government efforts, and how is it different from past government efforts? Well, you, we're, we're, we're mixing up two issues that overlap with each other. The work of this group that has been brought together that's making an announcement today uh, was, was the work that we were tasked with by the Premier at the end of November, which is to create an emergency system navigation process to bring all of the supports that we have in the city of Edmonton to bear in a united way to wrap around individuals coming out of encampments to deal with the circumstance that the Edmonton police chief has just described. Uh, as for long-term plans to address homelessness uh, and housing, you're right, there's been lots of different meetings uh, and groups uh, over the years, and those groups and those um, committees have resulted in significant action. It's why you see 1,800 homeless emergency spaces uh, in the city of Calgary. It's why you see over 1,700, almost 1,800 shortly here uh, in the city of Edmonton. It's why you see Indigenous-run, provincially-funded shelters. That was heard loud and clear uh, through that process. It's why we have 24-hour-a-day, seven days a week emergency shelter. Uh, it's why, ultimately, we're coming forward, this government, with the largest recovery plan when it comes to addictions anywhere, maybe in North America, and certainly inside this country. Uh, so I would say those that came before have done a tremendous amount of work and we continue to be build uh, off of that work. But what we're talking about here is a failure uh, of a system here in the City of Edmonton to allow encampments to continue to be built as the emergency housing source, which is costing people their lives. And so at the end of the day, our emergency shelter system is safer than this. Uh, people that stay inside our emergency shelter, which I want to stress is the majority of the homeless population uh, that are on the streets, are safer inside those shelters, and the question then becomes what is right to do when it comes to emergency housing, whether it should be encampments or emergency shelter. That does not, that does not mean that we don't continue that work when it comes to things like housing and addiction support and long-term social services work that is happening in this province already in a very big way. We'll now move to the phone lines for our final question. Thank you. Michelle Belfontaine, CBC. Um, hi there. Uh Going back to the issue of the shelters, I mean, people are saying that they aren't safe. Um, people that we've talked to in the encampments, that they, they, you know, get assaulted, they get robbed, they would much rather live in an encampment where they, they feel that at least they have their own space, their own belongings around them. And so I'm wondering if there's been any um, kind of um, discussion with the shelters about this issue. Well, let me just start by saying what I said Friday. Michelle, you're not in the room with us, but I know you've seen the visuals of what the Edmonton Police Service has seen in those encampments. And if we're going to compare the emergency shelter system and this navigation center, which we're opening up to cameras so everybody can see what is taking place inside that navigation center, to the images on these pictures, to minor children being sexually trafficked, to people dying because they're being burned to death uh, inside tents, uh, to people being, uh, as I said, trafficked, uh, to being robbed, uh, abused by gangs. The list goes on of what Chief Mafee just described and in any way imply that is safer than our emergency shelter system. As I said Friday, anybody saying that needs to give their head a shake, go look at our emergency shelter system and look at that. Now that said, as I said in my remarks, we want to do shelter different. We've learned uh, things through the processes that we went through uh, over the last several years. And that's why you see, again, 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week shelter. P 
people's, you just brought up people's personal property. It is a requirement to provide secure storage for people's property inside our shelter system. We have indigenous cultural training in all of our shelters. We've opened up indigenous only shelters. A great example being what Chief Thomas and his team are doing with the Enoch shelter here in the city of Edmonton. We've opened up women only shelter spaces. Uh, our shelter providers have responded in a very big way uh, to be able to make sure they continue to do shelter different. And again, the people who are experiencing homelessness are speaking with their feet when the vast majority of those individuals are staying in that emergency shelter system instead of that abusive situation. And with that said, I'll ask you to get Chief McPhee to also supplement this because he and his people are on the ground seeing what is happening in the encampments and seeing what is happening in our shelter system. He can tell you for sure which one is safer. You know, we hear this over and over and over. And I guess first and foremost, when you have those people, certainly we can talk to them and, and get the stories. But I think we're doing a disservice to those people working in our shelter system. Our teams, and certainly there, and certainly the fire teams and the EMS teams have been working with them uh, consistently, especially in the last months. And the work that they do and the criticism they get is not acceptable anymore because they do great work and they've got great people and they're burning out. And what the minister just said is they've checked all those things. When I sat and I co-chaired the housing and homeless shelter, we came back with a list of minimum standards. And the ministers briefed us that I would say 98% of those are done. They can keep their stuff. They, there's a place that they can go with their pets and they'll try to navigate that. I mean, all of these things. Folks, I spent three and a half, basically three days, walking around these shelters. And the weapons, and it doesn't need to be the weapons on the board, the axes, the knives, everything in relation to that. And as Chief uh, uh, Thomas said, Grand Chief Thomas said, in talking to the individuals, when you have meth in these things, which it is so prominent down there, normal people do not do normal things. That's easier to control indoors. That's easier to control in the shelters by providing security, but by providing safety. Our members go through there regularly. If a person is telling you that's highly addicted on drugs and can't make good decisions, I would question if the information is always reliable. It doesn't mean they haven't felt it. It doesn't mean that we can't get better. But we keep saying this, and we keep blaming the people that are really basically keeping people alive. This whole question comes down to, are tents safe? How many of you ever camped outside in 40 below or 45 below with a shirt on, a T-shirt like, would a normal person that's making good decisions do that? Absolutely not. They need help. They can't, this can't continue to go on. And it's been allowed. And it's destroyed businesses. It's destroyed the communities. But it's most importantly killing the people in those situations, which thrives with organized crime and gangs that be able to push their product in. So rather than blame the people... How about we come together and focus on the solution that we've heard from both the Grand Chief and Chief Littlechild here saying, when the Grand Chief speaks for First Nations and he says clearly, housing's not the answer here until we get some of these people stabilized, that's different from Ma and Pa that lost their house because 
dad lost their job. There's a pretty good job in a, in, in a way to get them in. We're talking with people with severe addictions. They're young. They're old. They're not making good decisions. Let me give you an example. I had a guy light his, basically his belongings on fire to keep warm. And in his hands, he had his jacket, his sweater, and a long sleeve shirt. Let's get real and stop blaming and let's solve the problem. I'm excited about this. Is it perfect? No. Is it a heck of a lot better than we had yesterday? Yes. And with the people at this table, decision makers, and as we add more decision makers, we're going to change this. Because tenting, camping, first of all, it's against the bylaw. Nobody wants to enforce the bylaw, but it's not safe. And its reality is they need to come down. I'm not sure what we're talking about here when we're comparing a tent in 40 degrees and sometimes colder with the windshield with open fire and nylon and people with limited clothing to going in a shelter where there is security, where there's people that care about them. Yes, it's not perfect, but it's a heck of a lot better than what I've seen personally. And I, 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 I'm almost flabbergasted that we're having this discussion. Thank you. I just wanted to add some comments to the conversation as well. Um, when we're having the conversation about creating data, real data, asking each individual, why are you homeless? What resources do you need? What supports do you actually need? Having the conversation around an Indigenous-led uh, support network or outreach team that are going to stay persistent because that one question that was asked, well, what if this individual declines? And we're going to get that. But if you can break through to that individual and stay persistent and give them an opportunity to reignite their spirit... That, that's going to be a huge win for all of us. Um, even for our members that are involved in gangs, we, there is supports for them. There is an opportunity to live a better life. Nobody grows up wanting to be in a gang. Like I said earlier, nobody wants to grow up being addicted or homeless. So it's all of our, our, our issue at hand that we got to find supports and, and, and real solutions. And there will be several chiefs. I'll, I'll make that commitment and I'll make that statement here that we'll be at the table with the province to come up with real solutions. It's not just me as the Grand Chief or, or Ogamawa Wilton as well because that conversation has, has, has begun and we're actually at the table. So I really commend the province for, for putting in that work and I'd really like to ask where the federal government is in this conversation because they need to be at this table as well and come up with solutions and give us actual resources and supports that we can be successful together. So I just wanted to make those comments as well. That's it. Michelle, do you have a follow-up? Uh, yes, I do. Um, I'm hearing, a, to be honest, I'm hearing a lot of defensiveness here and, and, and I'm hearing a lot of, you know, you're telling people what they need. And I'm wondering, you know, we are hearing from people in the encampment that they feel that the shelters are not safe and they would rather live in their own place in the River Valley or wherever an encampment. So I'm wondering, again, I don't, didn't hear an answer to my question. So are, when are you going to start listening to the people in the encampments about their fears about safety in these shelters? The, the answer is we already have, which is why we've made shelters more safe. Uh, I will be very clear, Michelle, 
we have invested millions of dollars in security making our shelters safe. We heard that people were concerned about their stuff being stolen. We invested in making sure that there's secure lockups to make sure individual stuff are locked up. We've heard that there was concerns with the cultural appropriateness of some shelters, given some of the Indigenous uh, past uh, history, which is why we've invested in Indigenous-only shelters. We've heard that there was more, more of a need for women-only spaces beyond just domestic violence space, which is why we've invested in women-only spaces inside of our uh, shelter system. We heard that the, one of the big concerns with the shelters was that they need to be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's why we've invested in that, to make sure our shelters are open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The list goes on and on and on of what we've heard. Uh, the reality is that in encampments, people are being hurt. They're dying. Uh, they're being burnt to death. That's not happening inside Alberta's emergency shelter system. There's no defensiveness from the government. There's a, a lot of happiness and pride in the work that has gone into this from many different organizations and First Nation communities to make sure that we get shelter right. What there is is defensiveness of those extraordinary nonprofit providers and the hundreds of workers that are working tonight uh, and yesterday to keep thousands of homeless people safe in this province uh, and to be able to make sure that they can get access to life-saving services. And so I just want to be very clear, they're doing an incredible job. Uh, we stand with them and the idea in any way of implying that their shelters are somehow more dangerous than these encampments is ridiculous. And we'll take one more question. Just to interject on that conversation too, along with uh, the individuals that are going through their addiction, a lot of them leave these shelters because they can't use within this facility. That, that is the, one of the key problems that, that uh, persists through the, the shelter systems. And for it to be unsafe, uh, you know, honestly, being a former addict myself, I, I wouldn't want to be inside. I'd rather go outside, use my drugs, and then when I'm all strung out, I'd, I'd go inside to the shelter and sleep. But is that an option for them? A lot of these services don't allow that. And, that, and that's a conversation that we all need to be mindful of as well. So I just wanted to address that. And we'll take one more question in the room. Jeremy Thompson with CTV Edmonton here. I'm just looking for cost and duration. How much is this costing and how long will the navigation center be around? Uh, we, our overall uh, investment in emergency uh, shelter and services just on the emergency side in the province of Edmonton is a little north of $75 million this year. Uh, we went to Treasury Board specifically for this issue to... to surge, make this uh, extra capacity within the navigation center uh, and got another $13 million on top of that 75, which is being spent to run this navigation center to help the city of Edmonton be, uh, with the cost of cleanup uh, and to be able to help with things like transportation and other issues around this issue. And how long is it, is it just oh, the duration, winter or yeah. is it, yeah. Duration, I, look, I mean, our system, and I want to be clear, what we're announcing today does not replace the system. The system is working well. It helps bring that whole system to bear as a, as a wraparound team approach. Uh, is obviously going to remain in place. We'll see how this navigation uh, center works over the next month or two, and then make determinations about whether or not, you know, what may need to be adjusted, uh, whether or not locations work, all of those we'll be evaluating as we go on. But this tremendous amount of support around individuals coming out of encampments or individuals experiencing homelessness in Edmonton will remain beyond this, this budget year. And that wraps up our media availability.